It's November, and the question is, are we turning over a new leaf, or are we just going to make a big pile to cover something up? Next, on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principles and Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. As always, Barry, it's good to be back with you. We're both about as rested as we can be because we haven't done one of these since September. Well, you know, and there's been some health issues and some considerations, but we'll get some more rest, Chuck, because, hey, tonight we turn the clocks back, so we'll get an extra hour of sleep, right? <laughs> Gosh, is that already? That is this weekend, yes. Hey, you know, that usually turns out to be a bust for me because for a number of reasons, but whatever. Not usually as hard, though, as the spring moving no. forward losing an hour. No. But, it, but, it, but again, it's kind of goofy because that was based upon old timetables for farming and things. And, well, we don't do a whole lot of farming anymore. We should be, but because of the way things go in our global economy, we, we don't do as much farming as we used to. Yeah. What's happening really is that, you know, in the old days, it was a big deal when the Homestead Act was passed. You uh-huh. got 64 acres, but you had to farm it. Well, a guy with an ox and a plow who had to clear the property first of the forestation, which means he had to pull the stumps, oh yeah, build the cabin, build the barn, do all that stuff. Yes. Uh, 64 acres was a lot of property to handle under those circumstances. It would and, have been, yes. And really what made it possible to have a bigger farm was the McCormick Reaper. Because in the old days, if you reaped wheat, you went out with a scythe and you tied it around your neck. And if you've ever seen one of those things or picked one up or held one and tried to swing it. Yeah. Heavy. And they would go out at dawn and swing that thing till dusk, which depending on when, when they harvested and the McCormick Reaper came along and a, a horse or two could pull that thing along and you could harvest the same field in a day rather than days, which means l- less crop failure, less all kinds of stuff. But until then, you know, 64 acre farm nowadays, farmers routinely farm a hundred, 200, 300, 400, 500, a thousand acres and more. Yeah. And more depending on the size of the farm and the size of the outfit. So the idea that I'm not even sure really the farming industry could spread apart big enough to let enough people in the farmers who are out there doing the job, always complain all the time every year because the farm prices are too low. Yeah. And the farm prices are generally too low because the harvest is too good. Yep. And every once in a while you get some that say, okay, like this year, I'm guessing wheat brought a pretty price this year. I, I didn't pay attention. But a lot of the wheat crop, the, a lot of the winter wheat failed for a number of reasons. Whether- well, it, it hasn't quite failed yet. I mean, oftentimes though, the winter wheat crops um, are just now getting put in, you know, because they will harvest those toward the spring. Too. Oh, sure. But that's what I'm saying. In the spring, when the stuff was supposed to be ready to harvest. No, oh, yeah. We had fields and fields and fields of it that didn't go and had to be plowed under the stubble that rose up and created no heads had to be plowed under and beans put in sometimes corn. They put some corn in and it was late. We had a lot of acreage around here and some of it looked good and some of it didn't, but that has to do in part in large part 
because the largest fertilizer suppliers in the world are Russia and the Ukraine. Surprise. Yeah. Well, those two are kind of engaged in kind of a Herculean battle at the moment. They're in a, in a major arm wrestling. And what's suffering is things like crop production in the United States. People that were spreading manure and that kind of thing. Well, that's all well and good. But, you know, if you want, if you want to put nitrogen on, a lot of that came from Ukraine and Russia. So that didn't happen. And that has led to some lower yields, which means the farm prices will probably be up. And then you add in transportation costs because our genius transportation people headed by the wonderful, talented, and really genius Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, essentially told refineries to stop making diesel fuel and start making gasoline to cause the gas price to stabilize. Well, now there's a shortage of diesel fuel. Yes, there is. But of course, Joe Biden's going to fix all those problems. <laughs> yeah, by making us starve this winter, I guess. I was talking to somebody about this because I can tell you what's happening. I'm trying to get shipments in here from California. We have a pallet that weighed about, no, I don't know, 257 pounds or something. And we, in years past, we could get that here for about $285, $290. Uh huh. The lowest trucking price we could get was 485 and the lowest common carrier we could get was about 418. That is what shortages of fuel will do. Yes, it will. The companies are hurting for business, and yet they can't get their costs enough below so they can pay their employees for less than almost double what we paid in 20. So it's ugly yeah, out there, dude. But there is some hope on the horizon. Now, Chuck, I just saw an article just yesterday where at least one company is going to try to help people reduce their costs during this season. And I'm going to plug this because I like this company. I think they do a good job. And they've announced across their chain, and their chain, it's a grocery store, that all Thanksgiving-type items, that's the food, the trimmings, everything else, they're rolling the prices back to 2019 pricing. That's all these. Now, I think it gets interesting, Chuck, because... They're going to take a hit on the chin financially because the cost with avian flu stuff going on, they've killed millions of turkeys. Millions, Turkey prices yeah. are high. The cost of all the other goods are, are high. You mentioned all the shipping costs, the gas costs. But here's a company that's basically saying, we think this season is so important, Thanksgiving, that we are going to reduce, basically reducing their prices on all Thanksgiving related type food items across the board 30%. Now, Chuck, that takes some thinking, and the idea is I think they realize that the amount of traffic that they will get will offset the discounts that they're having to take and then maybe some of the losses they might have to take from buying where they have to buy things and they're buying it at a right. higher rate because of shipping and things. But I thought it was a great – it's a great human relations move. It's great PR for the company, and they're just basically trying to say, hey, guys, why don't you come and try us out and see, because we got good food and you can actually have a family Thanksgiving dinner and not have to basically take out a small business loan to do it. Here's what's interesting about Aldi. It's a German company. It is a German company. That's right. They have a massive footprint in the United States now, which uh, I'm happy for because they go into small towns like mine. Yes, it's a worldwide, you know, uh, used to be. Aldi wasn't all that easy to shop in, and they've made it easier and easier and easier, and the food quality's gotten better and better and better. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, it absolutely. Re 
it really isn't a fine alternative. And we've bought a few other things. You know, they always have a weird little shelf that sells picnic tables and yeah. chairs and, uh, you know, uh, appliances and all kinds of stuff. And we bought a few things in there because the price was good. It was good. Good quality. Yeah. Quality product. Yeah. We, we've done that a lot. And they also have other things. You know, if you've got a sweet tooth, you can go in there. They have a candy section and all that. And praise the, the Lord that someone at Aldi's basically said, hey, we'll take a loss leader during the Thanksgiving period and make our money up with goodwill. That is a good business practice. Now, they've been followed, Chuck. I'm just looking right now. A new article popped up that Walmart has now rolled, did this, done a very similar thing, maybe not as bold as Aldi's. But they just announced that their different Thanksgiving type items, selected ones, obviously, in their stores, we're going to have the prices rolled back to 2021 levels. Now, that's not the 2019 levels like Aldi's doing, which is the pre-Biden inflation stuff. They're just rolling it back to last year, which, again, will help as far as like maybe with the bird or something like that because of the amount of increased costs from avian flu and killing 40 million birds, chickens turkeys and things around the country because we're supposedly trying to stop avian flu, which is a joke. But at least it, Aldi's has created what looks like might be a rolling storm of other of other grocery store chains and companies, and Walmart's now jumping in, doing something similar. Now, I, obviously, Walmart was a little scared probably to go all the way back to 2019 because of how many stores they have and how much volume they have, but at least they're doing something. Well, the real question is, I'm sitting here thinking about this, and, and what is a company like Kroger going to do when the two other gorillas in the room, and believe me, Aldi and Walmart are definitely gorillas in the room when you're you're dealing with uh, Kroger and a couple of the other big guys. Kroger is yeah. uh, essentially at the bargaining table with union employees who want to gaboon more money. Well, they are, and also the other thing Kroger's got going is they just had, to, I don't know if you saw this or not, but just recently, they had to pay out $180,000 to employees that they fired who wouldn't wear pride badges on their company-issued smocks during the pride month here earlier. They got sued, and they lost because you cannot force somebody to hold to an ideology. Yeah. Well, good. $180,000 was not enough. Well, that's because it was a small thing. It wasn't across their entire system. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure that if attorneys wanted to keep working, they'd find a bunch of people across the Kroger system, union or not union employees, who basically were offended by it or had to take the, or had to wear it, even though they don't believe in the, the sentiment, the ideology of gay rights. But there were a couple who basically lawyered up and Kroger had to come to the bargaining table and it cost them $180,000 for them firing this person. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Again, not enough, but good. Not enough, but it's a start. Yeah. So we'll see how this all plays out because Kroger's still at the bargaining table. Kroger has been unionized for a long, 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 long time. I just watched a thing on Jimmy Hoffa and <laughs> one of the teamsters, I think they got teamsterized way early. And I, I don't want to paint Kroger with a bad brush because all they did was have somebody come in and form a union. But the Teamsters kind of parlayed that into gangsters came in and organized crime basically for a number of years controlled the Teamsters Union, in case you didn't know that. Now, my sister, when she worked at UPS, she was a Teamster because she had to be. Right. She worked in down in Louisville. and It was a condition of employment. Yeah, yeah she worked on the line uh, loading trucks. 
during the Christmas season. And she told me the other day she had looked into maybe going back and doing that as a temp job. They told her she would have to. Now, this has been years. I mean, uh, over 10, 12, maybe 15 years ago, they told her she'd have to pay her back union dues. (laughs) Oh, my heavens. Yeah. She said, yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't Uh, blame her. Yeah. What are my union dues since I made zero? It, which is supposed to be a percentage of your, of your pay. What are my union dues during that period? Well, that's neither here nor there. One thing, you brought something up with this Aldi thing, and it, and it made me think that they're they're taking the high road and, and saying, let's build public trust by saying we're not going to gouge you during the Thanksgiving holiday. Right. right. And Walmart is doing the same. Remember, remember the old days Walmart used to run those ads when they were still building Walmarts all over the place about rolling back prices. And right. When was the last time you saw one of those? Not for a long time. No, since even before the Biden era, when we have between eight and 12% inflation. No, building public trust. Suddenly I'm seeing articles. That- yes, indeed. To go with a deal that we've been talking about. If you go back and listen to our archives, you will hear us talking about the pandemic, if you will. That's not really fair. The pandemic, the, the COVID pandemic, and measures that the government essentially forced upon us. Close businesses, stay home, mask, keep your kids from school, make sure you get it this perfectly safe shot that is a 100% guarantee to keep you from getting the virus and from spreading the virus with absolutely no testing whatsoever. Well, now it's becoming clear the dam burst, believe it or not, in the European Union. Because I can believe that. the European Union called in a Pfizer executive to talk about the whole mess since 2019 up to today. She was there especially to talk about the vaccines, the, the Pfizer vaccine being one. I forget there were eight companies that had vaccines and they all they were all slightly different. They all took a different approach. All but one of them, I think, was an mRNA shot. And I think mm-hmm. another, the last one was a DNA shot, I think. It's been a while since I, I looked at this. But what Pfizer admitted, and nobody else wants to talk about it, but in the, in a European Union meeting, it, we never tested this vaccine for effectiveness. We had zero data. We had zero data on safety. And we had zero data on the whole effectiveness Overall, the efficacy of of the thing, and we still don't know what the long-term effects are, although we're beginning to get a picture on that. And since that time, all of a sudden, everyone who is telling us to sit down and shut up when we would uh, be vocal about these things, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to defer to the scientists. And I'm like, well, first of all, while I'm not specially trained in this area, I am a scientist. I am scientifically trained. And I can recognize, like, right away when somebody's blowing smoke at me or gaslighting me on things by telling me we have the data. I was watching TV the other day, and it Raiders of the Lost Ark. And if you recall, at the end, Dr. Jones, who is responsible for recovering the Ark, wants to begin the studies on the Ark, right? 
Exactly. And what did the government do? The government confiscated the Ark and said, we already have top men working on the Ark. Well, he being in the industry, archaeology says, who are these top men? And the guy looks at him and says, top men. Meaning, we're not telling you. Well, where did it end up? It ended up in the big government warehouse. Now, I'm not saying it's exactly like that, because it's not. That was a movie for entertainment purposes. The fact is that the global pandemic was nothing like entertaining. We True. were We were lied to. We were sold bills of goods. People were paid to not work. And some of those people continue to be paid to not work, despite the fact that the rest of us are back at work. The economy is in a shambles because the methods taken to fix it were completely wrong. The right thing to do, now, when we, we're looking at retrospect now, what should have been done? Okay. Do you know what the average age of death was with COVID? 86. It was 86. 86. Ah! <laughs> you guessed it, bud. It was 86. And do you know what the minimum number of comorbidities on average that 86-year-old had? At least three, I think. Four. Four. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I barely missed that, but I'm happy yeah. about the other. So what should have happened? Well, maybe people over 75 and obese and with heart disease and diabetes and several other comorbidities yeah. should have been asked Please stay home. Don't go out. Right. Don't go out. You have to go out. Do it very gingerly, very carefully. Yeah. And now we're also finding out that they're admitting now that cloth masks and the paper masks did nothing. Oh, actually, they probably did. They probably done harm. They just don't want to come out and say it. They did do harm. The illnesses increased in people that regularly wore masks. Oh, of course they did, because they wore masks all day long, half the night. You get in your car, you're all by yourself, you got a mask on. Got a mask on. It's like, yep. come on, folks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some married couples, some married couples actually wore the mask around the house and to bed at night. That's, it's rare, but it happened. Now, in the meantime, we're finding out virtually everything we were told. Everything. Do you remember when the governor shut us down here on the advice? Oh, wait a minute. Governor, you mean Mike DeWine, the guy who's running for re-election? Yes, Mike. Mike, Mike. Oh, well, unfortunately, the alternative to Mike DeWine is worse. Is way worse. Essentially a Marxist. Nan Whaley, the ex-mayor, Democrat mayor of Dayton. Open Marxist, open socialist, open lesbian. Yeah, and look, um, open open gun controller. Mike's clo- Mike's closed gun controller, but she's an open one. Somebody said, "Well, I mentioned that Mike was about gun gun control." Well, he signed constitutional carry. He, he had no choice. His, he had no choice. He had no choice if he was going to stay in office. That's exactly right, because he also faced a veto. Uh, I mean, yep. a veto reversal because uh, yeah, an override. Yep. Um, and he, uh, he had the votes. He knew it exactly, so he had to sign it. Uh, that being said, who did he bring in? Who was his health director? Amy Acton, Democrat operative, Obama supporter, 
and all around mouthpiece shill for anything the CDC wanted to have done. Yeah, she was a CDC mouthpiece, and she was also a baby killer. So it was all about safety, supposedly. It was all about safety for everybody except children in the womb. who yeah, the unborn children. Yeah, were open season. Yep, she That's- was definitely a pro-abort. And isn't there anything the supposedly, according to Ohio Right to Life, the most pro-life governor we've ever had, <laughs> his first hire for the most major position in your cabinet dealing with health of unborn babies and you hire someone who wants to kill them yeah exactly so riddle riddle me that folks riddle me that you're going to suffer him for another four years but at least it will only be four more years right because he'll be about 107 at the end of his term and so he's done yeah i forget what it'll be 80 something uh, if, he'll be in his early 80s, I think. Yeah, and who knows? The only thing that I can say about that is that the lieutenant governor is only marginally better. He, and marginally is being kind. Yeah, he used to come to the, all the pro-life meetings and the, the pro-family meetings that you and I would go to, and he'd pander. Of course. Um, and uh, as soon as he'd get into office, it would be like, well, thank you for helping us achieve this. Get out. Or, or as I heard one time when he was the Speaker of the House, when he brought all the pro-life and pro-family folks into a room, he comes in, sits down, and he goes, well, folks, we've picked all the low-hanging fruit, so you just need to sit back and shut up while we do what we want to for the rest of the session. But let's go back to this for a minute, because all of them, Acton, uh, everybody at the CDC, remember Dr. Burks, who has gone radio silent, essentially, because she is now I think, frankly, embarrassed, and she would rather avoid congressional hearings when they come up. If the House and Senate change hands, she would rather not deal with House oversight and Senate oversight. So she has gone silent, retired. Fauci, on the other hand, is also retiring. Yep. But is that going to stop him from being called? I can tell you right now, Rand Paul's going to be breathing down the back of his neck as he is right now, except this time he's going to have someone at his back. Now, will it be Mitch McConnell? Probably not. Although Mitch may very likely, if if the red wave does happen, Mitch will probably no longer be the The majority leader. Majority leader. He'll be be out. Um, And you watch Mitchell uh, resign. And there will be a special election required because there's also some questions about him and his wife's connections in China. That's neither here nor there. We've got Dr. Burks. We've got the whole of the CDC, the whole of the FDA, who basically came out, issued blanket emergency use permits for these vaccines, completely untested, uh, knowing full well that mRNA used as a therapy has always been majorly problematic. It's not new. It was it was originally uh, researched for use in cancer therapy, and it did not work. It, in fact, it made things in some cases worse. Yep. So yeah. they 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 sort of put it away, and you know that somewhere somebody had a bunch of money put into it and said, "We'll put this in our pocket and pull it out later." Well, later turned out to be this flu bug. Which, by the way, is also revealed. Remember when we got pilloried for saying it looked like it was made in a laboratory? Right. Guess what? It was made in a laboratory. It was made in a laboratory. There is a uh, something like a 1% chance it wasn't made in a laboratory. 
Now, what does that mean? That means it was probably built as part of a gain-of-function research project. Which is right up Anthony Fauci's alley. That's right down his right down his street, baby. Um, and gain-of-function research supposedly is to aid and abet in creating uh, vaccines and treatments and protocols. Um, and what it actually is... Uh, Flat out, gain of function research is primarily weapons research. Now, it's, weapon, it's weaponizing biological uh, entities in order to make bioweapons. Exactly, uh, something we shouldn't be doing. And we, they can all say, "Well, they're doing it." Uh, so what? Um, that that's a dumb thing to say. Um, that's a stupid defense. Now that being said. Let, let's all say this all happened. And by the way, uh, Fauci's uh, government agency is uh, that he's headed for umpteen, you know, decades, I think since the 80s. Uh, the National Office on uh, Immune Allergy and Infectious Disease um, gave money, put up money for gain of function research. Uh, again, uh, why? Um, <clears throat> now, one thing I will say, if if this was a gain-of-function research, uh, which it seems to have been, they, they built a really terrible weapon because the, the death rate from this thing. Remember when they told us it was going to be corpses in the streets and 50%, 50 to 75% of the people that got it would die and blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. The death rate. And remember, the average rate of uh, age of death was 86. The death rate was about 2%. It was about 98% survivable for, for even for people who were ill. I think I saw, I saw some statistical data the other day that the death rate was actually worldwide was like five, ten thousandths of a percent. But that might, that might very well be. Remember, we've been fed, we've been gaslit. Yes, we have. almost three years. Oh, actually, 19. Uh, yeah, it'll be three years uh, around Thanksgiving. Uh, we've been gaslit for that long on this. So as the facts begin to emerge, we find out more and we find out that we've been gaslit all along. And what has happened because of this gaslighting? Government control. And government uh, of the economy, of the uh, healthcare infrastructure, of all these things is at all time high for quote unquote for our protection. How protected do you feel, Barry, now that uh, something like 78% of the population has had a shot? And we have a, a phenomenal increase in what's called excess death. People dying beyond the expected. I read an, oh, artic I read an oh, article today. Pay attention today of all the young people and athletes that are dropping dead of heart attacks, blood clots, uh, embolisms, and other things that, you know, it's all going to be traced back to this little uh, effort by the Bill Gates Foundation and the CDC and others to basically create a worldwide pandemic. And, and also to uh, uh, see what they could get away with regarding requiring 
uh, people to have a shot, which in many cases killed them. I, I will not hold a punch back on this. No, we can't. That shot killed people. As yes, did, by the way, the protocols that were issued by the CDC for the hospitals, remdesivir, and put automatically putting anyone who, who had a low oxygen on a respirator. Right, or a ventilator, yeah. Um, it that killed a close friend of mine that that respirator thing yes did his oxygen get low yeah it did did he need to be put on a respirator no he did not there were other ways to get around this and that included things that we were told were quote-unquote horse paste and poisonous ivermectin and um um what was the other one um oh it'll come to me well, there's monoclonal antibodies. There's ivermectin. There was um, the other the other antiparasitic in Africa that that kept. Oh, you, I, 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 hydro. I, why my brain shut down? I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I had, I hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine also had uh, a, a well. Let's put it a curative effect. Yes, it did. It reversed some of those things. Now, you know what? I got I got COVID in August of 21. And I know right where I got it. I went to a, a, a county fair and walked around, no mask and everything, and, and I got it. Now, did I get the full-blown thing that some people got? No. But I have a whole bunch of comorbidities. Uh, I'm overweight. Not tons overweight. I'm 10 or 15 pounds overweight, but I'm diabetic. Um, <clears throat> I've had breathing issues in the past, um, and I got it. And my my wife and I, uh, we, we sort of determined that my oxygen level had to be really low because <laughs> she would ask me questions, and I would be like, eh, 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 eh. you know, and she'd ask me a logic question, and I'm like, uh, you know, I can't deal with that. So I got sent a bunch of paperwork from church. I'm on a committee to, uh, we were buying a furnace and they sent me these figures, all, all the quotes. And they said, can you review this? And I go <clears throat> about 10 days from now, I probably can, but right now it all looks like differential equations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't make higher hair out of it. Uh, why? Well, your oxygen level gets low. You, don't think as straight as you used to. Uh, ask anybody who knows people who've done mountain climbing and gotten altitude sickness. First thing that goes out the window is reason. Yep. You stop thinking, you know, my first. You can't, you can't think. Yeah. You, the first thing you'd think you'd want to do is, hey, let's climb back down the mountain. But no, sometimes they hallucinate and they say, oh, we're almost there. Let's go. Okay, so we, we've got protocols and drugs that killed people. Uh, lots and lots and lots of people. Yeah, uh, we have all that. You now have the CD, or not CDC, but some of the drug companies admitting they never did the, the basic due diligence that they should have done before bringing a drug to market, even in emergency use. And so what do we have from the intelligentsia, the mainstream media, and all of the folks who basically were so cavalier about everybody else's health to tell us you must, you, you know, you're being, uh, you know, a danger to the country if you don't line up and get jabbed. And, and we what rely too. 
Yeah. What are they doing now? Well, there's a leftist professor uh, who wrote, wrote an article for Atlantic Magazine. If you don't know what Atlantic Magazine is, it's a uh, it's a hoity-toity um, kind of an upper crust no- nose in the air uh, journal a magazine. And this this professor uh, writes in the magazine. Uh, Let's let bygones be bygones and accept a pandemic amnesty. Yeah, like that's basically what with this author who is uh, Brown University, uh, uh-oh, strike one, Brown University professor Emily Oster wants to heal divisions created during COVID-19 panic, let bygones be bygones and accept a pandemic amnesty. Now that the nonsense uh, COVID positions of the professional left are shown to have been built on lies, falsehoods, and social manipulation. Like, by the way, we said for two and a half years. Yeah, but we don't know what we're talking about. Sure. And suffered the slings and arrows of people say, you guys are, you know, you're off your rockers. You don't know. Uh, what they want is this amnesty. Uh, and the statement was that we ne- need to forgive one another. So, no. so you, you're supposed to forgive the people who yelled at you in the stores because you didn't want to wear a mask, who uh, called you baby killers, who said that you were trying to kill grandma and grandpa, and uh, who kept you from buying things, who kept you from going to stores, kept you from going to work, um, basically treated you like a third-class citizen in a caste system, and even to this day will not admit that they were just being blindly led by the media and a bunch of people in white lab coats because they can't think for themselves. Now, the title for this article, and it goes right along, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty, and the subtitle is, We Need to Forgive One Another for What We Did and Said When We Were in the Dark About COVID. They're still in the dark about COVID. As a matter of fact, Chuck, I just read an article today about a a, a heart surgeon who, one of the national, you know, the self-appointed medical oversight boards are going to try to strip him of his certifications because he's out there saying the things that are now coming out that the CDC are now finally admitting he's been saying for years, and they're going to try to pull his certifications and keep him from practicing medicine because he's not going along with, um, how did they put it? The, the consensus. Yeah. Well, they not only are trying, they pulled it. I know. Well, you're, I know what you're talking about. Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, they actually sent him a letter. He has an appeal process, though, so it hasn't been finally pulled yet. It'll be interesting to see. Now, uh, these people who are asking for amnesty, what are they really trying to avoid? They're trying to avoid the responsibility of their actions. They're trying to avoid their very own Nuremberg trials in some cases at high levels. That's why Fauci is retiring. That's why Burt's retired. That's why a number of these people are seeking to hide behind uh, uh, we were we we just did what we thought was right. They did what they could not have possibly thought what they were doing is right because no pandemic has ever acted this acted this way in the past. Right. Well, except maybe the bubonic plague, which, if you recall, those pictures were. Um, were raised up as what the possibilities that we were facing, which turned out to be absolute nonsense. It did. 
This was nothing like bubonic plague, pneumonic plague. It was a flu virus. And, and, and they'll say, well, this wasn't the flu. Of course it was. It was all serious influenzas are coronaviruses. They know that. We know that. They're also bad. Um, think about the Span what we called the, the 1919 flu, the Spanish flu. Uh, the Spanish flu that actually started in the United States. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did. Um, the Spanish flu that, that started in the United States and um, went worldwide, killed uh, millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, really did. Uh, and we tried this this whole masking and uh, quarantining and all that stuff during that. And guess what happened? It still killed people. Of course it did. Because a virus do what a virus will do. There was no way around what was going to happen. Why is that? Because even if a even if a virus is made in a lab by men, who's in control? God God's is. Still, well, God's still in control. Yeah. The people that died, God knew every one of them was going to be killed. Yep. He knew every one of them would die. He knew the exact moment of their death before before he knit them together in their mother's womb. He knew it. This is the problem we're facing here. These people want to escape uh, punishment and maintain their positions. Look, they sh there should be mass firings at research facilities and everyone who you know, let's take Amy Acton, for instance, Amy Acton, uh, quit when it became clear that the Ohio legislature was going to bring her in and she was going to have to run the gauntlet. So what did she do? She resigned to, uh, she took on some, job something somebody gave her a job and she said oh this is a much better position for me yep she knew full well she was about to get it she hightailed it out of town you betcha she did and that's what dr burks did as well uh fauci isn't that smart uh well let me take oh, that back he's plenty smart he's plenty smart his ego wouldn't let him admit this problem his ego got away got away from him badly so here we have it's not now just people in academia and in the the scientists quote-unquote science establishment remember when we were called non-scientific because uh, you can't point to a single uh study in your favor and i said yeah but you know why because guys like you are on the uh, review committees and you can't get, no matter how good the data is, you can't get those studies published. And if you, and if you bring it up, as you brought up with Dr. McCullough, what do you do? You get decertified. You lose your job. How many people lost their job in academia, in science uh, um, areas, in government areas how many people lost their job hundreds 
yes, hundreds. Because they questioned the the um, the conventional wisdom, the consensus, as the consensus, and science is not always about consensus. When uh, Pasteur proposed the germ theory. In many, in a lot of cases, he was scientifically pilloried. Why? That can't be right. He proved it unequivocally. That can't be right. Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't mesh with the uh, the uh, rollerball that was coming down the pike about. Oh, this is the only way we can be sure and be protected. And there's a there's an interesting graphic of all of like the government officials from Joe Biden to to uh, Walensky, the uh, CDC director, to others, who basically are you know trying to say now they never said that the uh, you know the shot would keep you from getting it again. Which Walensky's finding out she's been shot five times and she's had rebound COVID now twice in the last month. Twice, yeah. So, well, what they but, forgot, well, yeah. The whole thing where they basically all lied through their teeth. They all lied through their teeth. They said you couldn't get it again. People were getting it over and over. They said it will make it harder for you to, to get the, uh, and then, you know, after they conceded that people were getting it, despite the fact of being jab, 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 jab. Well, it's not as bad when you get it. Uh, it's, it's not as bad because the virus is already basically mutated beyond its most virulent form. Exactly. Um, you can talk about deadly new variants. They tried that on all, uh, if you recall, all spring. We were all going to be dead by the end of summer from these uh, these new variants. We better run out and get our shot. And as fewer and fewer and fewer people are running out to get their boosters. They keep ordering them at the same rate. But guess what Pfizer just did? I don't know. They astronomically raised the price. Why? Because nobody's taking the shot. Therefore, to maintain the profit, you have to get more money per. This is an old trick in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, You have a drug that you have a monopoly on for a number of years because you developed it and researched it and did all that. Okay. Uh, when it comes time that it goes generic, um, you know, it's X, I forget 17 years. Sometimes you renew it, can get it renewed up to 20, some blah, blah, blah. Uh, when it comes time for generics to come in, the big pharma companies, instead of trying to compete with the generic manufacturers, raise their prices. What's the argument? The argument is they are going to maintain the same market share. Right. The only way to maintain the same market share is to get more money per dose. And sell physicians through their um, uh, through their salespeople that we're really better than the generics. They don't know how to manufacture it correctly. You're going to get better control with our product. And it's worth five times more than it was when it was when we had the monopoly, precisely because of the generics. It really doesn't make any sense, and yet physicians will buy it. Why? Because they've got the salesman sitting there in their office telling them. You know, I, I always laugh when I see these ads on TV. It says, "Ask your doctor." Okay, 
about some of these things. And you start looking at the side effects and the possible uh, uh, bad side effects, you know, psoriasis drugs that can cause leukemia. Well, guess what? I'll take the plaques and rises. Thank you very much. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, but you go in and ask your doctor and the doctor doesn't know except what the salesman has told them. Right. Because, you know, doctors, unfortunately, are have to master all this stuff. They can't, all these new drugs come out, they can't master that. They rely on the information given them by the drug companies. Well, what about side effects? Oh, you get, you might get to see this and this and this and this, and it's not a big deal. And then I get a couple of patients that die from it. Um, and all of a sudden they're sort of like, well, what's going on here? Oh, don't worry. You, 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 you've got an anomaly on your hand. That's the kind of thing that happens when, you know, go ask your doctor. Um, so anyway, people have been asking their doctor, their doctors are getting assurances from the FDA and the CDC that everything's tip top. Don't worry about it. Completely safe. Uh, completely effective. Do I blame the local doctor? Uh, yes, I do for not being more, for not being skeptical because I've seen a change in my personal physician, uh, who, who was a hometown doctor. Okay. When, when we signed up with them 26 years ago, they were hometown doctor. They had three people in the practice. You go in, you see your doctor, uh, you know, she'd talk to you about this or that or another thing. Uh, she was open to alternative forums and blah, blah, blah. And the, their practice got bought out by a giant corporation. Well, now what do they do? They tow the mark. Every time I get in there, I get browbeat about taking this shot, that shot, another shot. Well, you're yep. diabetic. You're, you're, you're in more danger. And I said, doc, you know that I'm already, um, doing things with my health outside the norm that protect me well you know we blotty 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 they'll give me all the they'll quote me all the the uh, talking points because that's what they get from corporate they get talking points make sure they take because why because they they make a little bit on each shot that they hand out the drug company makes some the corporation makes some the doctor makes some that's right that's the way it works that's what's happened now, who will I blame on this? Obamacare. Okay. Obamacare drove the local, uh, the hometown doctor out of business because of all the junk they had to wade through to get coverage, you know, to be, uh, to take Medicare and Medicaid and take all these, these things, all these, this aid and, and, uh, the Obama plan, they had to jump through all the hoops. They said, no, I want corporate to be able to do this for me, do all the paperwork and all the, the record keeping. So here we are now really paying the price for Obamacare with COVID-19 and whatever pandemic they can come up with to as the next big thing. Uh, you may not believe me. Fine. Think about it. Sit down. Ask your ask your your former hometown physician who's now part of a corporate structure if that's not true. Because I've told the doctor before, I said, this is feeling awful corporate to me. And she goes, yeah, I know. That's what she tells yeah. me. So that being said, we've been gaslit. 
and we've been lied to. We've been used as guinea pigs. And the, the other shoe has not completely dropped on that, except that we can see excess deaths and we can see other problems coming up. Organ failures, uh, liver, spleen, um, lungs. And uh, th there are uh, uh, um, morticians and uh, uh, coroners who are doing autopsies on relatively young people and finding gelatinous masses in their arteries and veins and organs that they can't explain. They will send it out. I bet it's spike protein. And some have done that and, and they can't get that information. Uh, they, they will not, they can't get it published. So they mention it somewhere, someplace, somebody brings it out and suddenly they're pilloried again. We're not, we're years and years and years from hearing the whole truth on this. And yet these people now want forgiveness. Yeah, well, forgive us before you find out exactly how bad we really were. Yeah, hurry up and forgive us. And and if it was just the scientific community, okay, uh, that's pretty standard pra practice. Uh, you you kill everybody, you know, you kill all the messengers who are coming in and bringing the bad news. Where else is it happening? It's happening in church. There are people. Who were involved? Uh, you may have heard the term Big Eva. Right. Big evangelicalism. The Tim Kellers, the the John Pipers, the uh, all these guys who were basically got, uh, telling you that if you really wanted to love your neighbor, you'd go out and, you know, Russell Morris, if you really want to love your neighbor, go out and get the, uh, the shot. Well, I'm glad I never listened to people like that. Exactly. But that is a hijacking of the authority of, of preachers, the authority of the church, the authority of the Bible, and twisting it into this thing that makes absolutely no sense. And yet people, well, my pastor says it's perfectly safe and that I should go get it. Should your pastor be held accountable for that? Should your pastor be giving out medical advice? No. And should your elders or or whatever your corporate board structure is? Oh, yeah. And I know a number of churches, Chuck, you know, we talked about it before. You really had to have like major meetings over whether or not they advised or didn't advise, you know. And um, oh, but mostly churches, you know, in our spheres said, you know, you have to make up your own mind yourself. We're not going to mandate it. We're not going to require it. We're not even going to suggest it. My mother-in-law's church in Newark closed down early and stayed closed until this some, year. Some, some did. Some did. Some oh. still are. Uh, uh, some never. Some never reopened. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Now, what's the problem there? Who do you trust? Well, apparently you trust the CDC. And a, white, a white lab coat over the pure white of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you expected them to protect you, but God not to. Now, would that have meant that some people would have gotten COVID at church? Yeah, they'd have gotten it at church rather than getting it uh, someplace else. Any place else they may have traveled. Does that mean we should have shut down? And again, I... I the, the when we talked about, we closed for about four or five weeks, I think, and I'm an elder, and I was for it. I said, until 
we find out if it's real or not. Because I don't want to be the guy who is responsible for not closing and we've got Ebola on our hands, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. So we closed for four or five weeks. I looked at the numbers and I looked at the at the non, the propaganda coming out and I'm like, okay, it's time to reopen. You know, we did online church, uh, which actually started something that's been good for us. Um, you know, our, our online presence, um, uh, live, live, live broadcasts of our church. Um, but, uh, we, we said, come on back to church. If you want to, if you, if you don't feel safe, we gave everyone a free choice to come back or worship with us online. And we've said right out front, it's not the same, not the same as being here. Cause it's not, but it's a, an alternative for those who can't get out or don't feel safe coming out. And because when we reopened, we refused to require the wearing of a mask. And believe me, that was a fight in the, in the, in session. Because after all, governor and, and Amy say, uh, we need to do that. And, the, you know, Romans 13 says we need to obey. And I said, yeah. And if they were doing this for our good, uh, if they were punishing, uh, evil and and rewarding good, we would do that, but they're not. That's not what this is about. So if someone comes to you and says, well, you know, uh, you shouldn't hold us accountable for uh, the things that uh, we didn't do when we were in the dark, say, not so fast. Not so fast. Well, well, now it's in the light. Instead of saying, don't hold us accountable, they should they should be asking apologies and forgiveness seeking to re be repentant, not seeking just to be let off the hook. Hey, how about asking for a hearing where all the evidence is presented Absolutely. and those who were naysayers and were treated like uh, pariahs get to come up and ask. So now that it was all false and we said it was all false from the beginning, now what? There you go. And we want you held accountable for that. And that's the pastor, uh, deacons, uh, elders, uh, any leadership in your church at all, board members, that kind of thing. Everybody needs to be held accountable for that. And right. So and, and, and after Tuesday, I think, as we're seeing, there's probably going to be a massive turnover, and it's probably going to be the Republicans back in control of the House, at least, and possibly the Senate. I think you're going to start seeing in the fall, Jim Jordan's already uh, sal salivating over the idea of getting Fauci and others in front of a House oversight panel to actually get down to real information. There you go. Okay, now, we're really out of time, but you know what? I can cut this thing to any length I want to, uh, and I want you to talk about issues one and two very quick. Maybe take a couple minutes. All right, well, that's fine. Um, let me jump over here and pull them up. Okay. All right, so uh, it, people have been asking, calling, texting, emailing. Uh, what about these two state issues on the ballot? Well, here's the thing, folks. Both of them are actually good issues. Issue two, I'm going to go backwards. Issue two would basically keep local municipalities who have home rule mostly in Ohio under our constitution from doing something stupid like saying, oh, well, we're going to pass an ordinance that says that even if you don't aren't a citizen of the state, 
or a citizen of our community, we're going to allow you to vote in municipal elections or on ballot issues or on tax issues. And it's it's a way that we're seeing, obviously, with the legal immigration coming into this country, that there are a lot of liberal enclaves who want to get more numbers out for leftist causes. So they're pushing ordinances to allow non-citizens to be able to vote. Now, again, remember, this is non-citizens. Somebody made this specious argument about, well, 17-year-old kids. Well, they're citizens. They meet all the other qualifications. And there's already a law in place that says if they're going to turn 18 within a certain time frame, then they can vote. So we're not changing that. All this is doing is keeping local municipalities like Lakewood and Yellow Springs and Antioch and Cincinnati and Cleveland and Columbus from basically trying to game the system to allow illegal immigrants and non-citizens to vote in their community elections. Um, that is something the legislature put on the ballot. It's a good piece. I'd say vote yes. Now, the other issue is state issue one. State issue one is a little bit more, yeah, it has a little bit more convolution to it, but it's actually based upon a, a Ohio Supreme Court case that came out earlier in the summer where the Supreme Court basically interpreted the Ohio Constitution to say that local judges and judges that are dealing with criminal cases do not have any flexibility in order to take public safety, the severity of the crime, or the likelihood of a offender reoffending into consideration when setting bail. They basically said the Ohio Supreme Court will set a flat bail rate, you know, a, a flat bail rate, and that will be the way it is that they prescribe the rules and practices. Well, the legislature said that's stupid. You know, if you've got somebody there and the and the, your guidelines say bail should be five hundred five thousand dollars, but the guy is like burned down three houses, shot two people, and he's threatened three other people that were on the witness stand if he gets out. Well, you know, you need to take public safety into consideration. The judge needs to have the flexibility to say, you know what, I don't think we're going to allow bail, or that bail is going to be $500,000, not 5000 They don't have the ability to do that under this decision that came out. And so the legislature put this state issue one on the ballot, and a vote yes would give local judges the flexibility to be able to take those common sense considerations, public safety, the likelihood of reoffending, um, the danger to uh, maybe possible witnesses or victims that are in the community in order to create a bail or a, a, a you know jail guideline for holding uh, criminals who are being tried in their court system. Folks, issues one and two are good yes votes. The liberals and the leftists want you to vote no because they want anarchy in the streets, and this is the way to do it. Uh, let out criminals with a slap on the wrist like New York and California does and see much more crime or give judges who know the case, who know what's going on, who know the community, the ability to say, you're a bad player and we don't want you walking the streets. So five million dollar bail. OK, let let that go. I mean, the ACLU can whine all they want to about injustice, injustice or whatever they want to whine about. We need this in order to keep communities safe. Issue two, we don't want illegals and non-citizens voting in our elections. How would you like a, a bunch of uh, bust-in people from another community over coming in and voting your property taxes higher? That can happen under this. Yep. Uh, if, you, if, you, if, if you let this go and these, these communities continue to do the liberal things that they're doing. Uh, so a yes vote on one and two is, is what my recommendation is. And I'm sure that uh, Chuck is looking at that as well. Concur. Now, that being said, we're out of time. We're, I figured it's 
We're way out of time. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of a Rodney Dangerfield reference there. Way out. Um, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.